اعوذبلشیطانجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم ان چیپٹر ٹو ورس ون ہنڈریڈ فورٹی فائیو اللہ ہولی قرآن قد نرا تکلب وجہی کا فسما فرن ولی ینہ کا قبل تنترداہ فولی وجہ کا شطر المسجد الحرام و حیثما کن تم فولو وجوہ کم شطر و ان الزین اوت الکتاب المون ان الحق مربیم و ملّہ بغافل اما یا ملون Verily, we see you turning your face often to heaven. Surely then we will make you turn to the Qibla which you like. So turn your face towards the sacred mosque, and wherever you be, turn your face towards it. And they to whom the book has been given know that this is the truth from their Lord, and Allah is not unmindful of what they do. In commentary of this verse, Hazrat Muslim Al-Razillah explained, that what we see from this verse clearly is that even though the commandment had been given to the Muslims to pray towards Baytul Maqdas, but still from his spiritual insight, the Holy Prophet ﷺ understood that this was a commandment which was a temporary commandment and was later to be abrogated. The glory of the Kaaba was something that was always there from the beginning, from the time of Hazrat Adam ﷺ and carried on through Hazrat Ibrahim ﷺ. And so the glory of Islam and its future progress was also tied to the making of the Kaaba and to the Qibla, and all Muslims coming together in this one place of worship, in this one direction of worship. But also we see from this verse that the Holy Prophet ﷺ never prayed that this Qibla be changed. He never hastened for this divine command to come down. But he was in submission, and he only looked towards the skies. And this is a metaphor that Hazrat Muslim explains that he would look to the commands of Allah Almighty that would descend from the heaven, waiting for this command to come where the Qibla would be made into the Kaaba. So Hazur explained that this is also shows an aspect of the submission of the Holy Prophet that the previous command was there, and so long it was there, he was completely obedient to it. And then when the new command came, which is a command which Allah Ta'ala had willed and his heart was already inclined to. Then he came into obedience of that. Another point Huzur explained is that this verse explains the concept and proves the concept of how important congregational prayer is. We see that when the Qibla was changed, the Holy Prophet ﷺ was addressed directly. Now in Hadith it is narrated that this verse or this command came while the Holy Prophet ﷺ was leading congregational prayer. But even in its general sense, we see that this verse refers first in the singular. So turn your face towards the sacred mosque. It is referring to the Holy Prophet ﷺ. So the Imam is commanded to turn his Qibla and change it towards the Kaaba. And along with it, the implication and the automatic implication is that the congregation will follow. So this is the imamat and the congregational prayers as taught by Islam. Then also after this, the verse then goes to the plural and refers to the Muslim ummah. But here also Hazur said that since the first addressee was the imam, the Holy Prophet ﷺ, so also the second addressees in the plural are the aima in the ummah of the Prophet ﷺ. And wherever you may be, all of you turn your faces towards it. Here, the primary reference that is implied is that all the imams throughout the world of the Muslim world are commanded to turn their face towards the Qibla. And so their congregation follows. 
So this is a philosophy of imamat which is taught in Islam, that whoever is the imam of the prayer, of that particular prayer, then that person is the imam. Even in mistakes, that individual is followed. Whatever decisions are made about that prayer, that imam is the primary person who makes those decisions. Now according to fiqh, the imam is to consult with the congregation in whatever decision is made. And that decision is to be made based on that consultation. For example, if prayer is combined or whatever it is about the points of prayer. But the, that responsibility of imamat is to be respected. Now, even if we appoint, let's say, a child to lead us in prayer, if during the prayer we follow that imam in any mistake that he makes, then we should respect his imamat in the full sense of the word. That whenever there is a decision about prayer, then whoever the imam is of that particular prayer, he must be respected. So this is a point of you know, how there isn't any backseat driving in Islam in this sense of the word. No one should be doing imamat from behind the imam or giving directions or instructions to the imam from that position. Just as a point of minor etiquette, what we do is that we give our suggestion to the imam and then the imam adopts the, uh, where, where there is flexibility on these types of decisions, the imam adopts um, what the majority of the um, jamaat is inclined towards or what is most in line with the teachings of Islam. After this, Allah Almighty says in verse 146 that in and even if you should bring every sign to those who have been given the book, they would never follow your Qibla, nor would you follow their Qibla, nor would some of them follow the Qibla of others. And if you should follow their desires after knowledge has come to you, then you will surely be of the transgressors. In commentary of this verse, Hazrat Muslim who explained that the changing of Qibla is something that had to do with the direction that the religion was headed in. It was prophesied in the scriptures of the Jews and Christians that a time would come that the Qibla would be changed. For example, it is mentioned in the Bible that Jesus said to a woman who was objecting to him making the Qibla rather from a mountain in Jerusalem to the city of Jerusalem, he said a time will come when neither of these two will be the direction, but there will be a completely new Qibla. So the Jews and Christians were aware that a time was going to come. It was something that was prophesied in their scriptures. To adopt a new Qibla was something that was inconceivable for them because it essentially meant accepting that a new religion and a new order and a new covenant had come and the previous covenant had been abrogated and cancelled out. So Allah Ta'ala explains that no matter what happens, as long as they are not Muslims, they're never going to agree with this point anyways. So there will always be objections being raised from their end on this point. It will always be something that bothers them. So there is no need to try and convince them on this point. They will not follow your Qibla, nor will you follow their Qibla. In fact, their disagreements among themselves are to such an extent that they even have disagreements within themselves as to what their Qibla is, something that does not exist within Islam. So the disagreement that exists is something that has to be resolved from within themselves before they try and resolve their differences with us on this issue. Hazur explains in the last point of this verse that the wording is in the singular and it seems on the surface that it is addressing the Holy Prophet ﷺ directly but that is not necessarily the case. Now Allah Ta'ala says here that if you follow their desires after knowledge has come to you then you would surely be of the transgressors. Now firstly, there is precedence in the Holy Qur'an. Clear precedence where the Holy Prophet ﷺ is referred to and given a commandment and the reference is 
to those who are out the entire ummah, and it cannot refer to the Holy Prophet For example, there's the one verse where it speaks about how speaking individually in the, in the singular tense to the Holy Prophet it speaks of um, you know, taking care of parents and lowering our wing of mercy over them and not raising any word of objection to them. Obviously, we know that he was orphaned when he was a child. Although this commandment is addressed in the singular to him, but when he is addressed many times, it addresses the entire ummah. And this is a part of the figure of speech and the language that the Holy Quran has adopted. So here also, these words do not directly address the Prophet ﷺ. It even goes against the very meaning of the verse. The verse just earlier says, وَمَا أَنْتَ بِتَابِئِنْ قِبْلَةَهُمْ which is that nor would you follow their qibla. You are not one to follow their qibla. Allah Ta'ala has already ruled this out. The, in the previous verse, it was already explained that he was never even inclined to follow that qibla in the first place. So first, his inclination was never even towards the qibla of the Bani Israel, but he adopted it out of his obedience to Allah Almighty. And secondly, Allah Ta'ala himself gives testimony that he is not one to adopt that qibla after this commandment has, given any, has been given anyways. So there's no point in debating with them. So then after that, to assume that these words refer to him, that if you turn your face towards that previous qibla, after the knowledge has already come to you, and if you follow their desires, then you would be of the transgressors. To interpret that to apply to the Holy Prophet ﷺ is completely against the flow and the meaning and the established words of the verse that come before. So primarily this verse is an address to the Muslims. It is a reminder to us. But there is, even if a person wished to take it in the secondary sense, that perhaps it does apply to the Holy Prophet ﷺ, there Hazrat Muslim explained that its meaning would be the same figure of speech that is used in one hadith by the Prophet ﷺ, where he said that even if Fatima were to steal, I would punish her, her hand would be cut as well. Now here, obviously, this does not mean that Hazrat Fatima who was one of the greatest saints and was promised paradise, and was named as one of the leaders of the women of paradise, that she would ever sin and commit theft and would become so severe that she would have to be punished for it. But it was used as a symbolism of wording, that principles are far more important than individuals, no matter who that individual is. And when the Holy Prophet ﷺ referred to his own daughter, it was to establish the importance of the principle. So here also, if these words are taken to apply to the Holy Prophet ﷺ, it only emphasizes the importance of the principle. He would never be coming under the fault and the sin that is described in these words, but Allah Ta'ala says, that this principle is so important that you should never follow the desires of others after knowledge has come to you, for then you would surely be of the transgressors. No, no person should come under that category, for no matter who that person is, that person would then be a wrongdoer in the sight of Allah Almighty. One other point on these verses about uh, Qibla is that mention was made um, in verse number 144, and thus have we made you an exalted nation. Wasata has the meaning of middle. I mean, that's essentially the literal meaning of the word. And Hazrat Masih explained that the significance of these words is to point out the exceptional quality of this ummah in that it is moderate in all of its teachings. In a way, you could say that the most exceptional beauty of this ummah is the fact that there is nothing really exceptional about it. The most beautiful face, for example, by definition, is the most ordinary face that can be imagined. A face that, a pe that people or general culture is perceived to be unattractive or ugly is something that has one part of the face that is larger than the other. 
if we were to divide the human face into different portions, the most beautiful faces that humanity describes as being the sign of beauty is where each one of those different parts of the face is of an average size and appearance. And when it all comes together, that is the face of beauty. Ugliness is seen when something is too large or too small to the human eye or to the human perception. Now this varies according to cultures. Of course, in some cultures, a certain part of the face is considered more beautiful and more prominent. In other cultures, that same face is not seen as beautiful, but a different face is seen as beautiful. But still, that, princi that principle is of general application. And we can understand how it is a part of our nature that Allah Ta'ala has created. That a perfect balance and nothing being outstanding and exceptional is a part of the beauty of human beings. This also applies to our human character. This is what Islam seeks to teach us. That everything that we do should be in moderation. And the best action is that which is done consistently, even if it is a small action. The most righteous person is not somebody who does one good deed to an extreme of righteousness. But he is a person who does every good deed in an exceptional way. The most righteous of righteous people is someone who is extreme in his goodness in an all-around way. His spirituality grows in the most balanced way. So these are parallels that are found in physical and spiritual beauty. Now, somebody who just does curls and develops his biceps, we don't consider that person to be physically beautiful if the rest of his muscles are completely out of balance. But sometimes when we see a tennis player or somebody who plays in a sport that only uses one specific part of their body, it looks a little bit out of place. It's not an attractive thing to see someone with a huge right arm and a smaller left arm. There's something that is asymmetrical about it that takes away from the beauty that we find in it. So this also applies to spirituality of the individual and it applies to the spiritual teaching that is given overall in a religion. Islam is a religion that balances everything out. It is not a religion that places too much emphasis on harshness and technicalities as Judaism does. Nor is it a religion that completely considers the Sharia to be a curse and, and, and just amputates entire parts of the body out and creates deformity in religion or emphasizes too much on forgiveness and softness also as Christianity does. But Islam teaches an aspect of every one of these parts of religion. It gives a teaching of balance in these ways that go, does not go to the extreme in any one way or the other. So ummatan wasatan is a word that essentially emphasizes the greatest beauty of the religion of Islam and the followers of the religion of Islam. That they are unexceptional in every way, but overall they are exceptional. And that balance creates the greatest spiritual beauty and the greatest exceptional uh, qualities in spirituality that can exist in physical beauty and also in spiritual beauty. So um, this, um, with this, um, we'll finish uh, today's dharas. Tomorrow we'll continue from verse 147. But uh, these verses that discuss the Qibla and Surah Al-Baqarah will um, end this subject uh, here. So now if there's any questions then we can address them. And also if there's anyone on the YouTube live who has any questions, they can feel free to write it into the comment section and then we can uh, address them at the end of the deris, um, of, of that deris. So that can be done daily as well. Anyone who wishes to send in a question online during the live deris, then at the end of that deris, then we can address those questions. So there's no questions? Yeah? We can just read it out. Um, 
How was the Qibla used in Judaism? Was it used in a similar way to Muslims that they prayed towards it? Um, Hazrat Muslim Muslimah explained in Tafsir Kabir, I haven't looked into this directly, um, but he was just explaining with one reference in the Bible that the place of Qibla, which was uh, adopted by the Jews and the Christians, at least during the time of Hazrat Isa salam, was that the Samaritans considered their Qibla to be one which faced towards a mountain near Jerusalem. The other Jews, they faced their Qibla towards Jerusalem. Then also it is mentioned in uh, certain narrations in uh, Hadith that when the Christians who came to debate with the Holy Prophet wasallam, when they br- took a break to observe their prayers in the mosque of the Holy Prophet wasallam, then they faced towards the east. And Hazur explains that there is a point that is mentioned there by one of the priests who wrote a commentary on this Hadith that um, the reason that they faced towards the east, these particular Christians, is because they held in reverence the star that was associated with Jesus and the wise men that came following that star from the east. So there are different reasons why different Qiblas were adopted within Judaic and Christian tradition. For the most part, it has been towards Jerusalem, and as it has been described as Beitul Maqdas, which is the holy mosque or the holy place of worship, the temple, the, the temple of Solomon perhaps is what it refers to. So uh, this is uh, one of the Qiblas that the Judaic people observed. Now whether they observed that Qibla of prayer in the same way that we as Muslims do, that every time we pray to face that same direction and that same Qibla, and their temples are faced towards that direction, that I'm not sure if I can look into. But um, they definitely did have a Qibla before Islam which they used. All right, so if there's no other questions, then um, with this question, I'll look further into it and then we can address it in more detail in tomorrow's daris, inshallah. And we'll end here. Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ala Ali Muhammad wa barik wa salli minna ka hamidun majeed.